Don't we need healing in this country? Don't we need healing individually? Don't we need healing at pretty much every level? But we are, and so in the, in the time we've got uh, available on this hot day, I want to talk about three things from this passage. I want to talk firstly uh, about our nervousness around healing <laughs> in the church. It, I don't know about you, but when I read stories like this and I think about speaking on healing in the church, it makes me kind of nervous. Why do you think that might be? Why are we nervous to talk about healing? May not work. Oh man, what if you pray for someone and they don't get healed? What if, what if you've been in an indigenous person praying for healing for your community for like a hundred years and it just keeps seeming to get worse on many indicators? Like, what do you do with that, right? I'll tell you the other. I mean, the other nervousness I have. Uh, here's a bit too much information about me. You may not be interested in. Um, one of my favorite movies is uh, the Steve Martin movie Leap of Faith. How many of you have seen it? Leap of Faith. Oh, man, am I the only cynic in the group? A few of you. The rest of you are too godly to admit that you've seen it. I know. I get that. I understand. Leap of Faith, he's a, he's, it's a charlatan, right? He's a healing ministry in the States, and he's a charlatan. And, and you know, one of the reasons why I'm nervous to talk about healing is you go, oh, man, it's, it's so easy to abuse uh, the ministry of healing in the church because you can pe- people are desperate. There's real need, and you can take advantage of it. Lots of money to be made out of taking advantage of people's need. And the church has certainly, over history, collaborated with that. And uh, right after the service, we have some little, uh, you know, when I was in Israel a few years ago, I brought back some little bones of Jesus. And, and if you'd like to come and touch those to be healed, for a small fee, I can arrange that. About $100 for a pinky, maybe $200 for an elbow. We can organize it for you, right? Does that sound Okay. Good. Um, that was a joke, genre recognition, um, easy to manipulate, uh, easy to, to disappoint people. It's also hard, isn't it? The, the ministry of healing highlights for us that life and God's good blessings to us are fundamentally unequally distributed in the world. And that is terribly hard. Right? So for every one person for whom where God miraculously shows up and heals them, there's going to be another person who has prayed for healing their whole life and has never been healed. And that can feel very unfair, very unjust. But that's just a smaller problem of the broader issue of the fundamental uh, unfairness of life. Uh, And that's a bigger problem we need to take up with God. And I loved your prayers that, God, I've got a problem. Why did this happen, right? For sure. We have so many questions for God around this stuff. Uh, So we can be nervous about healing for all these reasons. Um, We can be nervous because it does damage. Uh, The the guy I worked with in Melbourne for many years, Peter Corney, who ran this wonderful church, St. Hilary's in Kew, and Peter used to train uh, pastors and clergy around the country, and he ran a seminar for a time um, called How to Run a Healing Ministry Without Making Your Church Sick. Because it can do damage, right? And when you, you offer healing and someone doesn't get healed, what do you say? To them? Well, it's your lack of faith. That's terrible, right? Uh, it can legitimize denial and minimization of real problems. Uh, it can create all sorts of problems. So we're nervous. Establish that. Okay, we're nervous. Lots can go wrong. But secondly, listen, we need to talk about it because uh, there is just enormous need in the world, isn't there? It's enormous need. And what I love 
Uh, while we say that God's blessings are distributed unequally, guess what? Human need is distributed pretty much equally across all people groups, all age spectrums, all socio-demographic status. There's no one person, one people group has who really have more need at a fundamental level than others. So look, uh, uh, in this story, Jesus coming along and there is Jairus. So who's Jairus? Well, let's think about him. Firstly, he's a bloke, right? So first century bloke, high status. He's a synagogue leader, so he's a religious bloke, high status. He's a synagogue leader, so he has influence, he's well regarded in the community. He's got it all together, right? Does he still have need? For sure. His little daughter's dying. So he's got need. Who's the other character in the story who has need? Yeah. the woman. Uh, and, and look at what, what's her story. She's a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. So first century, she's a woman, low status. Now here's a bit of background uh, you, you might need to know. Uh, I'm sure some of you do know this, but in the, um, uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, they had lots of rules around cleanliness and uncleanliness. And anybody who had a, uh, a a flow of like a, a weeping wound or a menstruating, uh, any other sort of uh, loss of bodily fluid, blood, um, semen, those sorts of things, these people were rendered by that flow ritually unclean. So unable to go to synagogue, unable to pray, unable to participate in the normal life of the community. So here you've got a woman. So she's had some kind of uh, gynecological disease um, and uh, that's been going on for 12 years, so that's got to make you pretty sick. Imagine how anemic she's going to be, right? But, but below the physical illness is this massive 12 years of complete social and spiritual exclusion from her community. So she has need. Whether you're high status or you're low status, you have need. Guess what? We have needs. Uh, one of the things that can happen in a, in a community like ours is we can think that... Uh, uh, that, that our wealth and our affluence and our social skills um, hide our need. We all have needs. We're all broken. We're all a mess. That's just the way it is. And we all need healing. We all need healing. Uh, but there's another really interesting thing around, around this, right, for Jesus, uh, which is very confronting for many is that Jesus is both the friend of the high-status person in need and the friend of the low-status person in need. See, what can often happen is different groups uh, will co-opt Jesus for their own interests. So you'll have people who will say, well, Jesus is really for white people, for the happy people, for the rich, all well-put-together suburban people who've got their life sorted out and don't have any obvious overt need. Jesus is there to make you rich and happy and well-self-actualized. That's who he's really interested in. Jesus is, is, uh, is for the colonialists, for the you know, oppressors. He's the white fellow God. And this is one of the things that's been done in, certainly in the African-American community, and I know in South Africa in the liberation struggle that, uh, where I was growing up, that uh, Islam very carefully, cleverly presented uh, Christianity as the God of the white person, and they came in and said, well, Islam, Allah is the God of, of uh, you know, the black people. 
And what this says is, no, no, listen, Jesus is friends. He's the friend of sinners. He's the friend of people in need. He's the friend of Jairus. He's also the friend of the woman who's bleeding. So while some might want to co-opt Jesus or, or paint him in the picture as being in the favor of the rich and the, you know, the well put together, others sometimes want to co-opt Jesus and say Jesus is just particularly the friend of the broken and the messed up. This can happen in all kinds of ways. One is a, sort of the, the talk that you see in some circles of God's preferential option for the poor, that God is particularly concerned about the poor and the broken. And some of the ways it can work out is you can feel like unless you're a complete mess and you're completely broken and oppressed, well, really, you don't need God and God isn't interested in you. Neither is true. Jesus is the friend of sinners, whether they're the oppressor or the oppressed. Whether they're the overtly, outwardly rich, healthy, well put together, or the person who is obviously physically, culturally, socially distraught and oppressed. God is the God of the prison camp God and the prison camp inmate. Because Jesus' love for people is not dependent on their external circumstances, their class. Jesus is not a neo-Marxist where people are put together in classes and categories and groups and group identity defines you. God is the God who actually loves all people. (laughs) And he sees our mess and our need and he acts to meet that need irrespective of where you've come from or what you've done. The gospel is the gospel for the whole world. For white people and black people, for rich people, for poor people, uh, because we all have need. And I'll tell you how deep our need is. Let me ask you this question. It's got to make you think. What is the mortality rate for everybody who Jesus healed? What was that? 100%. Like they all died, right? They all, that is our need. Like we're, you're all going to die. We're all going to die. Like we're all in the same boat. Uh, none of us, none of us, get out of this experience um, intact. So uh, there is immense need. Okay. So we're nervous to talk about it, but there's great need. The how do we reconcile that? What do we do with that? Well, uh, thirdly, I wanted to talk about the nature of this healing. Uh, the nature of the healing. And here we're going to do. We're going to get into a little bit of physics and a little bit of philosophy. And then a little bit of Jesus. Sound okay? Here we go. Uh, To understand what's going on with healing, you need to think about uh, the fact that in this world, we live in a system where there's order and chaos, and there is an ineluctable drift this direction, isn't there? What is that called? You'll know that from your high school science. Second law of thermodynamics. Will someone tell me the second law of thermodynamics? Everything increases towards entropy. Ah, thank you. I heard this from a few. Do you all remember? Entropy, right? This is it. Entropy. Uh, You see this in all kinds of ways. Uh, If you've got a garden, you, you, you have to work relentlessly to kill the weeds. But you've got to work relentlessly to feed the beautiful plants. Because like left to itself, gardens turn to weeds, right? Uh, you see this in your relationships. If, you've, if you're in a family, um, your relationships, unless you put energy into them, uh, they just sort of wind down and grow more distant and fractured and fragmented, right? 
It just happens. Everything tends towards entropy. But that actually, sorry to humiliate you in front of everybody here, John, that's actually not the second law of thermodynamics. There's a clause at the front that is an incredibly important modifier for our purposes. In a closed system, thank you, that's right. So in a closed system, everything tends towards entropy. So what does that mean? Well, imagine uh, this is a closed system of our universe. And in this closed system, everything just slowly winds down. That's the way it is. Without and Because th there's a finite amount of energy. So you can think of all of life really as about energy transformation from one form of energy to another. Uh, so uh, I had, you know, uh, I needed more energy this morning. I, I had two cups of coffee before the nine o'clock service, but I came in here and I was sitting down the back. I had another cup of coffee. Why did I do that? I'm transferring energy. The little caffeine stimulates uh, some neurochemicals and some hormones in me that, that causes a, a, a rush of uh, release of mitochondrial energy in me and I'm wired and I'm ready to go again and then I'll crash as the energy runs out, right? That's what happens. All of life is an energy transfer. Now, when Jairus' daughter dies, it's this move to chaos, right? The order of her life has finally wound down. That woman who's bleeding for 12 years, what's going to, uh, what's going to fix the order in the chaos of her life? Well, Jesus. We're in church. That's the answer, right? Jesus. You know this, right? Jesus is going to fix this, right? So lest you think, Mark, you're, this all just sounds too new age. You see, Jesus is happy here. Um, you've got a really big mouth. Uh, <laughs> look, at, look at how this woman is healed, right? Um, she comes up. She is desperate, verse 27. She heard about Jesus. She came up behind him. She sneaks up to him in her desperation and she touches the corner of his cloak and what happens? Immediately the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And verse 30 is the most important verse in the entire Bible to understand the physics of the kingdom of God and the dynamics of healing, right? That might be overstating it, but for the purpose of that rhetorical flourish, let's go with this. Um, at once, Jesus realized that what had happened, power had gone out from him. Now, I reckon most of us read that and don't give it any second thought. What is power? Greek word, dunamis, energy. So energy had gone out of Jesus into this woman, and that had brought order out of her chaos, right? That's what had happened. So uh, here's Jesus, and she touches him, and... Uh, Jesus' energy flows into this woman and starts to bring uh, order out of her chaos, brings healing and reconstitution at a physical and molecular level in her body, which is remarkable, right? Actually, that's the way healing works. It's not unique to Jesus. I remember when I was in medical school in South Africa many years ago, um, uh, one of the guys said to me, one of the lecturers stood up and he said, now, now, now what you've got to realize, people, is as doctors, we don't heal anyone. Everyone's like, huh? He says, we don't heal anyone. He said, the body heals itself in quite mysterious ways that we don't fully understand. But what science helps us do is remove the impediments to the body healing itself and add things in that will help 
in that mysterious healing process. And that's always struck me, that that's what it is, that, that the body can heal itself. How does the body... Well, let me tell you this. One of the key things that any medical intervention does is add energy into the system of decreasing energy in the human system. So uh, I look out here. We have a number of medicos here. Uh, but we have someone here. I was just going to use Angus because he's not here, but I would have used him even if he was here. We've got an orthopedic spinal surgeon. Say you need spinal surgery. You're a little kid, and you've got uh, really bad scoliosis, so your spine is all out of shape, and you go along to Angus, who's a surgeon, and Angus is now going to operate to bring healing to this kid, right? What does a surgeon do? What does he do? Well, actually, he's adding an immense amount of energy into this little girl's system, isn't she? Isn't he? What sort of energy? 400 years of science, right? Uh, 30 years of energy transformation in his own professional life, taking all the energy that he's ingested from all sorts of places, all the learning, and now all of that accumulated energy over decades is now being transferred through kinetic energy into working in this little girl's uh, existence, right? Uh, But even more exciting energy, all the little the little nuts and bolts, I'm assuming, that you do to screw your spine back into play, and the plates you put in, that's energy. All that, that was the energy that took that steel out of the ground and has now transformed it into something that can actually uh, uh, hold a spine in place and stop it twisting out of shape. So I find it really interesting that, that this is how healing works. Isn't that cool? But now, wait, it gets better it gets better because the central claim of Christianity, which is very interesting, is that we don't actually live in a closed system, do we? We don't live in a closed system. In fact, what we live in is a radically open system. So if we take this boundary out, we say, actually, what's here? This is actually God. Uh, Who is God? What is God? God is limitless energy, personal energy, but limitless energy. So God is, is, I mean, if you think of the sun as a source of energy combusting, that's like uh, the, the, the sun, which is the greatest source of energy we know, would be like just a tiny infinitesimal fraction of the potential energy that is God, according to Scripture. So now what you've got is Jesus as God making this infinite amount of energy available into the world to heal this woman. But more than just heal this woman, that's how he can raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, right? Because the energy is gone at that point. So the system is completely wound down, but then because it's an open system, because God can bring energy in that can actually re-energize, and it's a bit like the paddles that you put on someone to restart their heart. It's like... God's the source of life and energy that actually brings order out of the chaos of our disintegrated, fragmented lives. Okay, so now, bear with me. The final piece in this is that Jesus says this at the end, which is really weird. He says, uh, he gives them strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And then he told them to give us something to eat. Not really sure what that's about, but I mean, he's Jewish, so he's feeding her to make her feel better, right? Um, Uh, So, what is going on there? This is it. 
Uh, and to, to show you what's going on there, I've got to draw your picture. And you'll know, those of you who've been here before, you'll know what an amazing artist I am. But bear with me. I'm going to draw a picture of a flower. I need to tell you this because you might not recognize it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was quite funny. Okay, so here's a flower. See, there's a flower. Let's make it a... Maybe we'll make it like a sunflower. Does that look like a sunflower to you? Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? Okay, so there's the sunflower. Now, uh, that's beautiful, right? Down here on the ground, though, here's the ground. And uh, actually, here's, uh, here's the rest of the sunflower, right? Going down, and there's the ground. It's been, okay. And what's happened to this poor old sunflower? Someone's come along and gone, that's a beautiful sunflower. Let me cut it off and take it home and put it in a vase. So, what's going on? The sunflower looks like it's alive, doesn't it? But it's actually cut off from the source of energy and life. There's this gap here, right? There's this massive gap. So while the sunflower looks alive and smells alive and for a time is alive, it's actually just slowly dying because it's been cut off from this ongoing source of energy and nutrients that will flow up into it and keep it alive. Ah, what does that mean? Listen, the Bible says, if it's to be believed, uh, and we think it is, the Bible says we are like cut flowers. That our deepest problem is that we are fundamentally cut off from this supernatural, infinite source of life and energy. So effectively, we live in a closed system because we're cut off from the source of energy, which means we're as good as dead. So when Jesus heals Jairus' daughter, so, so the healing of Jairus and the woman's bodies here, what he's doing is, is producing healing at this level. Which is awesome, right? Do you know what that's like, though? That's like uh, when you go and you get your flowers from the uh, florist down the street and you get those little packets of, like, nutrients. What are they? They're just a form of packaged energy that you put in to try and, for a season, replicate the nutrients that will come up from the ground. It might prolong the life of the flowers, but it's a poor substitute for the branch and the roots and the nutrients from the ground. So Jesus is saying, that's what I'm doing. I'm here and I'm keeping the flower alive graciously, lovingly. It's a wonderful, amazing, beautiful, brilliant thing. The reason he doesn't want everyone to hear about this is because he says, if they hear that I'm doing this, all they'll think about is how do I get my little flower healed now? And they won't realize that actually Jesus' purpose in life was to do a much deeper healing, which is what? What's the deeper healing that he wants to do? Yeah, he wants to actually reconnect this here. That's the whole point of Jesus coming. Heal the surface, for sure, he does that. He does that to us in all kinds of amazing ways, and sometimes he doesn't do that. But he says, what I've come to do is actually reconnect humankind with this infinite source of power and love in my Father so that they'll never die. That's it. Now, people can't, couldn't understand that because that's why a little later on in Mark's Gospel, when they looked at Jesus, Jesus said, you know, the Son of God, I've come here to suffer and die. And Peter goes, no, you've got that all wrong. That's not right. Uh, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because people don't understand it. And that's okay. It's hard to understand that God 
would come and die, and in his death, that would actually reconnect us to life. So I like to add, make this. This is how the bridge, this is how it's bridged, right? It's a cross, isn't it? And it brings healing. And it says, yes, now we can find ourselves plugged right back into life and energy. So, uh, here's the, and, and so this is, you know, in a worldly sense, what we do is we, uh, you know, people focus on this all the time because that's all they see. My petals are wilting. And God cares about your petals. I mean, I'm looking at, I'm, my petals, I look, every day I look in the mirror, I see my petals are wilting. I'm going gray. I'm getting wrinkles. We're getting cancer. We're, we're running down. And sometimes we come to God and we say, God, just freshen up the petals, man. You know, heal my back. Heal my autoimmune disease. Heal my cancer. Uh, we say to God, heal my relationships, bring racial healing, bring reconciliation. Lord, won't you do that? And you know what God does? He Sometimes he does that, and that's amazing. But you know what he always does? He says, I, I love your petals, but what I want to change is your roots. I want to plug you into a source of life that will never leave you. I want to plug you into a source of life that, will, that means even once your petals have all fallen off, and your, your body that you carry around with you now is dead and gone, yet you will live forever. That's what Jesus says he wants to make available for us. That's the healing that God has come to bring. So what does that mean for us as a church? Mate, here's what it means. Love the petals. Let's pray for the healing of the petals. I'm a fan of that. Let's pray that God graciously comes and restores relationships, that it, he breaks through with his energy source to, to heal cancer, to, 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 to restore sight to the blind, to, to heal, recon, to bring profound, deep healing between people groups. We should pray for all of that. It might not happen. The fact that it might not happen doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Uh, because sometimes God does that stuff. Uh, but in all of this, what we need to do is, is, is keep praying more than healing the petals that God uses us to bring deep inner renewal for us and for all people. I love the saying, uh, Sandy Miller, who's the guy who grew Holy Trinity Brompton in England to be the church it is today that Nikki Gumbel took over. So Sandy is this, it's a church full of barristers. You know, they're all very buttoned up barristers, uh, historically very traditional Anglican when Sandy Miller took it over. And he was a barrister and Nicky Gumbel was a barrister and they were all barristers and they were all very British and upper class, Oxbridge sort of people. And then, uh, uh, then they started praying and the Holy Spirit fell on that church and it transformed the church. John Wimber came to town and John Wimber led that church into a deep experience of prayer for healing. And so Sandy Miller puts it like this now. He says, well, before we didn't pray for people to be healed and they weren't. He says, and now we pray for everyone to be healed and some are. And I prefer that. So that's what we do. We pray for people to be healed. And we know that God can break in and heal at the surface, which is beautiful and wonderful. And sometimes he will and sometimes he won't. But we know 
with utter certainty because Jesus died for us to prove that God is true to his promises, that if we pray for change and healing at the root core of our being, to be reconnected to God, that's what he will do always, every time, for everyone who asks. It's not an either or, it's a both and. So we're going to pray, and we're going to pray for healing now uh, in all these ways, and don't let it freak you out. Um, but it's, it's and it's, I, I have a bit of a dream, I was saying this in an email to someone, imagine if, part of the church, we're meant to be a healing community, right? So I have a dream that in this part of Sydney, uh, or in Sydney, people flock to churches all around the city because these are the places where you get true deep healing at every level. That's what the church is meant to be. That's what we should be like. So we're going to pray. And here's how I'm going to suggest we pray, if you would like. Just as you sit, maybe sit with your hands open, just out to God to receive his love and healing and mercy afresh. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's fine as well. But if you'd like to just receive, again, divine energy from God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit in the person of his Son, just ask him to come now. So let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, risen Lord Jesus, powerful Holy Spirit, we ask you to come into our lives now to deeply, deeply reconnect us to your own being. I pray that right now we will know your love and mercy and energy in our lives. For anyone here, gracious God, who doesn't know what it is to be loved by you, I pray now that you will just fill their being with a sense of your presence and love. And, Lord Jesus, we want to receive from you this morning healing power for the petals that might be broken. We need that, Lord, and you love to do it. So we cry out for healing for people, those amongst us with chronic pain, those of us facing uh, desperately negative prognoses from cancer or other disease. We pray for those of us who are caught up in webs of toxic and dysfunctional relationships, that there'll be healing in our families and our workplace. We pray, Lord, for those of us who harbor in our hearts fear of the other, racism, callous indifference to the plight of the poor, scandalous disregard for our indigenous brothers and sisters. Bring healing, Lord. We pray for our country. We pray that your body, your beautiful bride, might be, an, might be a channel of healing and peace in this nation. Start with us. Start with us here on this hilltop in Roselle and flow out from us and through us into everyone we meet, in our workplaces, in our communities. Oh, Lord, heal us and then through us bring healing to others. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, who lived and died and rose again, 
so that we might be fully, finally, and forever healed. Amen.